Amen. Amen. It's good to be here amongst the people of God. It's a privilege to be able to gather together in the house of the Lord. Never forget that. Hallelujah. Well, I want to talk today about the starting of our new book, um, The Good and Beautiful Life, which I've thoroughly enjoyed. I've listened to it a few times. I've read it a few times. Uh, how many know if you read a book more than once, you get a lot more out of it? Anybody ever figured that out? Yep. So this first chapter, my wife and I just absolutely loved it. And uh, it's a great chapter. And as I was reading it and listening to it, uh, an old Sunday school song came to me. Now, I I wasn't really raised in the church, so I don't know where this song came from, but it came to me. And the song is, Whose Side Are You Leaning On? Because I thought the song explained the first chapter of this book beautifully. So I don't know if you know that song. I will sing it now for you. You ready? So I I, I looked up the actions, but the actions were inconsistent, so I created my own. So it goes, whose side are you leaning on? I'm leaning on the Lord's side. Whose side are you leaning on? I'm leaning on the Lord's side. And it goes, I lean, I lean, I lean, I lean. I'm leaning on the Lord's side. I lean, I lean, I lean, I lean. I'm leaning on the Lord's side. You're never going to get that song out of your head all week. The staff have been singing it all week because I sing it in the hallway and they just kept, I could hear them all down the hallway. Whose side are you leaning on? Oh, I can't stop singing this song. And then it goes on as, whose side are you clapping on? Whose side are you dancing on? And then you have to end with this with kids because if you don't, it's trouble. Whose side are you whispering on? Let's all calm down now after we sing the song. So what does that song have to do with this first chapter? Well, really, it's a song, I think, that represents this entire book because that's the question the Lord asks whose side are you leaning on? You see, all of us lean on something. All of us have supports and things that hold us up, things that give us strength and joy, things that give us purpose in life. And we either lean on the world's side or we lean on God's side. And that's really how we start the thought. The false narrative that's introduced in the book first is that happiness comes from leaning on the principles of this world. The warning of the Apostle John comes to me in 1 John chapter 2. Don't love the world's ways. Don't love the world's goods. Love of the world squeezes out our love for the Father. Practically everything that goes on in the world, wanting your own way, wanting everything for yourself, wanting to appear important has nothing to do with the Father. It just isolates you from him. The world and all its wanting, wanting, wanting is on the way out, but he who does what God wants is set for eternity. So this is the the story. Will you lean on the Lord's side or will you lean on the world's side? You see, God's invitation to us is to stop leaning on the principles of this world and to start leaning on his principles, the principles of the kingdom of God. And the principles of the kingdom of God are a partnership with God. 
Church, this is not about a religion where you are trying to pursue God. This is about a relationship where you are walking with God in this life and He is working on and through you in order to create the image of Christ on the inside of you. That's the question. Whose side are you leaning on? In the book, he gives uh, great examples, and I won't tell the whole story, but I want to start with the stories because I thought they were so powerful. He shares the story of two men, and both of these men were born in 1910, and both of these men enjoyed success, one from the world's perspective and one from the kingdom's perspective. And so let's just talk about these two men for a minute. The two men are names are Ben Jacob, and the other one is John Wooden. So the story that James Bryan Smith tells, the author of our second book, uh, he tells the story of working as a chaplain in a senior citizen's home, and uh, he's doing his master's degree, in, and he's learning, and part of his, his practicum was to be a chaplain for a summer. And so he was a chaplain in this senior citizen's home, and uh, it was kind of a high-end senior citizen's home, and uh, he was working there, and he gets called to go to this guy's room named Ben Jacobs. And the nurse kind of looks at him and says, oh, good luck with that one. And so he goes kind of with this understanding already in his heart. You get what I'm saying? He goes into Ben's room and he goes to shake Ben's hand and Ben won't shake his hand. He says, sit down, young man. And he looks at this man. He's about 75 years old and he's got, he's, you know, got a cardigan on and he has a, kind of a sharp look, but you know, he looks like a, a, you know, kind of a respectable looking guy. And they begin to talk, and he, he begins to ask him about philosophy, and he begins to ask him, uh, the pastor being, he asked the, the chaplain, you know, about this and about religion, and he's kind of testing to see if the guy knows anything. And then at the end of the conversation, he says, can you think you can come back tomorrow? We can talk some more. And so James Bryan Smith says, sure. And so for the whole next week, he goes back, and he's talking to this man named Ben Jacobs, after the second or third day, Ben begins to unfold the story of his life. He says, I created and made my first million by the time I was 25 years old. And by the time I was 45, I was the wealthiest man in our entire state. Politicians would come to me, businessmen would come to me, and I tell you that I was a shrewd business person. I wouldn't be in somebody's presence for long before I would try to figure out how I could take the most from them. I had three wives, all of whom left me because of either neglect or caught me in many of my affairs. I have one daughter who's now in her 40s, but who refuses to speak to me. He said to the chaplain, I have nothing but bad memories. I cared about no one, and now no one cares about me. Though I have great wealth, I have no one to pass it on to. And my life feels empty and broken. I suppose you could say that I've ruined my life because you're all I really have. This is what he says to the chaplain who's known for a week. What a story of someone who followed the false narrative of the world get all you can, can all you get, take advantage of all those people, do whatever you got to do to get ahead, to chase after the world and its story. This was Ben Jacob's story. 
The other story comes as the author goes and interviews this person, and this person's kind of a famous person, and you may know him. If you're a basketball fan, you would know the name John Wooden. So John Wooden, he was a UCLA basketball coach. He won 10 NCAA championships. His famous call to fame that nobody has ever come close to, for four years in a row, his team did not lose a single game. 88 games in a row over a four-year period, including 38 consecutive NCAA tournament games. Unheard of. Nobody's even come close to touching this guy's record. And that's incredible. And uh, some people even call him the greatest coach of any sport ever. But that's not why him famous. You see, what's amazing about him to the people that knew him until his death in 2010, his former players would call him often weekly, including many NBA superstars, to thank him for the influence that he had on their lives. To thank him, to say to him, we love you. Thank you for what you taught me, what I learned about life from being your athlete under your team. And so when the author, James Smith, asked Coach Wooden, why were those people saying that to you? This is what his answer was. I made up my mind in 1935 to live by a set of principles based on the Bible and the teachings of Jesus Christ. Principles like courage, honesty, hard work, character, loyalty, virtue, and honor. These are the things that constitute a good life. And he lived that way. His life was full of meaning, it was a deep life. He reverently loved his Lord. He was a simple and a humble person. And uh, he was a married man. His wife had passed away earlier. And his kids and his grandkids loved him. And uh, he said at the end of the interview, I'm just longing to be finished with this life, to meet my Savior face to face and be reunited with my wife. Whose life would you rather have as your epitaph? Who was richer in the story, Ben Jacobs or Coach Wooden? You see, this is the choice that Jesus is laying out before us today. Will you lean on the Lord's side or will you lean on the principles of this world in order to find meaning and purpose in your life? Jesus puts it a little differently in Matthew chapter 7. Let's read that together. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on a rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fall, because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the wind blew and beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. See, this is the choice for us today, and I speak to you believers first, those that have said, I'm leaning on the Lord's side, I'm following Jesus, this is my I've decided to do with my life, but I want you to understand where we're going in this next book is that it's not enough just to say, well, I, I've given my life to Jesus, He's my Lord, or He's my Savior, but He's not my Lord. And what I mean by that is, you know, I'm happy to be saved, but I really don't want to change anything in my life. I just want to keep leaning on the world's ways and take the benefits of the kingdom of God 
And God is saying to us, that's not how it works. (laughs) When you sign on with me, you're signing on for a renovation project. This is what God wants us to understand. He takes us right where we're at, which is huge and important and great. But he's saying, I want you to build your life on me so that your life will stand through the many storms. We're going to look today at the fact that we all start with a lean. Every one of us has a lean in our lives. We're going to look next at the fact that we're all going to go through storms. You are not alone in that, and your life is on display in the midst of the storms. Well, let's pray, and then we're going to start with that first question, looking at the fact that we all have a lean. Father God, thank you for every person gathered here today, Lord. They're all amazing. They're all beautiful. They're all incredible. They're all your children, Lord God. They all, Lord, they, they've received your love and your grace. And, and if someone's here today that hasn't, God, they can do that by the end of this service. Hallelujah. And so, Lord, I pray that you give us all eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to receive and respond to you, that, God, we would love you because you first loved us. Help us to understand today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I said we all start with a lean. We all start with a lean. How many of you know you have a lean? And, uh, you know, you're not perfect, in other words. There's still some stuff in you that's not quite there. You've not quite arrived. And uh, other than my wife, I'm sure all of you have issues. I love you, honey. She would say, you know better. We're not perfect. Anybody figure that out? And, uh, you know, I've been your pastor for close to 17 years now. That's a long time. Um, How many of you know I have leans? I have issues. If I went around the room, some of you that know me would say, well, I know this about you. Mm, Not that good. This is kind of bad. And we're all that way. All of us have these points in our life that are a bit broken, a bit off. And, uh, you know, the thing is this. God wants to fix those things so that the issue of our lean doesn't lead to a collapse. So it reminds me a bit of the Leaning Tower of Pisa. There's a picture of it. Beautiful building. I've never seen it, but I've seen lots of pictures online. And uh, it took, you know, this building started to be built in 1133. And it took 177 years to complete. Now, it didn't take 177 years to complete because it was such a difficult building. Uh, It took 177 years to complete because after the first several years, it started to lean. Only three stories up, it started to lean. And they're like, whoa, what's wrong with this? And so they stopped production for a year, sorry, a a century, a hundred years, they didn't work on it. And then they said, no, no, we're going to finish this building. And they built it up and uh, it continued to lean. It continued to lean. It's incredible what happened, why it was leaning was they'd only put it on a three meter foundation, which was not enough. And they put it on unstable subsoil. They actually built it on sand, which I'll talk about in a minute. It was flawed from the beginning. And uh, so they kept building, they built it up, and it just kept leaning and leaning and leaning, every year getting worse, until finally, in February 27, 1964, the government of Italy requested, requested excellent, uh, experts from all over the world to come and help them because now the Leaning Tower Pisa was leaning 17 feet from its initial building space. That's incredible. 
So this multinational task force of engineers, mathematicians, historians all came together and they all came up with these things and for two decades they studied how they might stabilize this different tower in a different way. You know, some of the stories that came up were, one of them said, well, let's put 800 tons of lead on cables leaning the other way to pull the tower back up. Sounds good, doesn't it? I mean, 800 tons, that's, that's heavy, okay? Yeah, that was one of the plans. They came up with all kinds of plans. Finally, the studies said, you know what? The only way we're going to fix this is to dig out its foundation. And so that's what they did. They literally removed tons of soil that was actually sand, which I told you I would tell you about in a few minutes. They took all that soil out, all that sand out, they replaced it with rock, and then they drilled pilings in and secured the building to pilings. But they wanted to keep it at a lean because the lean was the greatest tourist attraction. But they had to stabilize the building from collapsing. And so finally, after 20 years, they did that. And it's incredible. They reopened it on December 15, 2001, and declared it stable, hopefully for the next 300 years. Remember when I told you they built on sand? Here's the craziest thing they did. They actually imported sand from Jerusalem because they thought it was holy. Rick, is that a good building source for us to build upon? You did not do that here at the Father's house when you helped us build this church, amen? You didn't do that, did you, Rick? Oh, God help us if he did. No, he didn't. I think there's 128 pilings just in this floor alone, just so you know. We're not going anywhere. And uh, hallelujah. So they had holy sand, but apparently holy sand didn't do any good. So the story of the Leaning Tower of Pisa speaks to us because we can't build on sinking sand, and this is what Jesus was warning about. He was saying to the world, don't build your lives on sinking sand. And, you know, I see it all the time, and I'm, I, I don't use these examples to bring shame to anybody, but they just, they interest me because I see them as sinking sand. As things like this, as I look at the experts in our world, make decisions and say things, build your life this way, like I'll get, you know, one of the ones that drives me a bit bonkers is somebody might be addicted to drugs, so rather than saying, let's get them off of drugs, let's help them be free of that, let's pray for them, let's stand with them, oh no, no, let's create safe houses where they can inject themselves with drugs safely. That's our answer. Now, I know I'm oversimplifying a subject here. But isn't that a kind of a scratch-your-head moment for you? Surely there's a better way to see people delivered as the kingdom of God would call us to do. So, you know, we say, well, if you want to have a good life, plunge yourself into more debt because the more you buy, the more you have, the more you, you, you're, you just, you know, you correct things by pouring more money into it, you're going to feel a lot better about your life. How many have figured out that does not work? I didn't know that. No, maybe not. Our government has not figured that out yet. <laughs> but we pray for them. So that, Jesus would say that's not wise. That's building your life on sand. You follow what I'm saying? This is the thing. And so we look at the world and all of us go, you're right, Pastor Greg, preach it. Come on, brother. That's what the world does. They're building their life on sand. But how many of you know you are not guilty or not, you don't escape guilt as church people? 
Sometimes we church people build our lives on holy sand. Okay, I'll tell on myself. I know you're all thinking I've done it, but I'm not about to say anything. So Pastor Greg will tell his story of holy sand. Okay, so I'm at a conference, and these things always happen at conferences. That's why pastors say, "Mm, good for conferences, but mm, make sure you're stable. Went to this conference, and the guy was preaching on really having faith, and uh, you need to just declare faith, and you need to demonstrate faith. And so his idea was, those of you that need to lose weight, we're going to believe God for you to lose weight supernaturally. And you're going to take, you're going to run around the sanctuary. And as you're running, you're going to lose weight supernaturally. Now, as a pastor, I say to my guy friend next to me, I say, that is the craziest thing I've ever heard in my life. But my friend says to me, well, what have we got to lose? What if it works? So you know what we do? Now, this is even funnier. This is even funnier. The speaker says, hold your pants, because as you're running, you're going to lose so much weight that your pants will fall to the ground. So there was your pastor running around the sanctuary, holding his pants. Shock of shocks, it didn't work. (laughs) Have you ever had a holy sand moment in your following of God? If I do this thing, surely I'll have the outcome of some supernatural occurrence when actually God says, well, push back from the Doritos and you're going to have some weight loss issues that are good. Amen? Practical God kingdom. Amen. You see, sometimes as a church, listen to me carefully, this happens in Christendom, we try and tie ill-fitting weights on people to correct their liens. It's called religion. Jesus put it this way in Matthew eleven forty-six. All you experts in the law, woe to you because you have held people down with burdens they can hardly carry and you yourselves will not lift one finger to help them. How many of you know that those weights, remember they were trying to correct lean of the Leaning Tower pizza? Let's tie, uh, pizza, let's try, you know, tons of weight on it and it'll pull it back. How many of we have religious weights sometimes? So we in the church, we need to be acknowledging that. So following the world's ways or the ways of dead religion won't fix the lean. It just doesn't work. We all start with a lean. So here's the second thought. We can't avoid the coming storms, but we can storm-proof our life. Jesus warned us in the text, and he said, you know, they built their house on the sand and one built on the rock, and everything looked good until the storm hit. And when the storm hits your life, church, that's when you know what you've built your life upon. And how many of you know we are in the moment of a storm right now in the world? Has anybody figured that out? 
And we are facing, you know, all kinds of storms, economic storms, we're facing health storms, we're facing social storms, and we're facing a global storm. And what is happening in people's lives is God is allowing these things to happen. Why? It's revealing something. It's revealing where we have cracks in our foundation. It's revealing where we're leaning. And, and God is like, good. Now they're going to see that they need me in order to live life. See, we all have a lean, but storms are coming to test the lean. And I don't want my life to collapse, and I don't want your life to collapse, and this is what this book is about to get us through. You see, it's not enough just to be saved and then keep leaning on the, Lord, on, the, on the world side. You know, there's a gangster in the 1950s named Mickey Cohen. And Mickey Cohen, he was uh, really the gangster that controlled all organized crime in Los Angeles. And Mickey Cohen was interested in, in Christ and the message of Christ and the message of salvation. And so Billy Graham got a hold of this, and he invited Mickey Cohen to his crusade. At that time, Billy Graham was like the bomb, like, wow. And he, so he invites him to his crusade and his tent meetings in Los Angeles, and he actually goes to Mickey Cohen's home and sits with him for several hours sharing with him the gospel of Jesus Christ. Cohen went to the crusade, Billy Graham's crusade, and Billy Graham was pushing him and saying, you need to make a commitment of your life to Jesus. And Cohen said these words, he said, if I have to give up my friends and change my life, I really am not going to follow Jesus. That's the statement of one who's wanting to still build his life on the sinking sand. See, the work of salvation, church, listen to me, the work of salvation does not stop at you saying a prayer and asking Jesus to come into your life to forgive your sins and to live with you. That's the start of salvation. And the start of salvation leads us to another Bible word, which is the Bible word sanctification. And that word just means to holify or to make whole. God wants to make you holy. Now, holy does not mean, you know, sucking sour lemons, I'm holy. That's not what it means. It means that you have life and life abundant. You've built your life on the rock and you're established and you say God's ways are better than the world's ways and I'm built on this establishment and now I'm being made whole by the power of the Holy Spirit in my life. Amen? I want to know Christ. And I want to be transformed into his image. Philippians 3, the Apostle Paul says it this way, and I continually long to know the wonders of Jesus and to experience the overflowing power of his resurrection working in me. I admit that I haven't yet acquired the absolute fullness that I'm pursuing, but I run with a passion into the abundance so that I may reach the purpose of, that Jesus Christ has called me to fulfill and wants me to discover. Then speaking to the church, we are a colony of heaven on earth as we cling tightly to our life giver, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our humble bodies and transfigure us into the identical likeness of his glorified body. Hallelujah. 
This is the call of God. This is the call of church. When you signed up with Jesus, he said, I take you right where you're at with all your lean, with all your brokenness, with all your really crappy foundations, and I'm going to dig that stuff out of your life, and I'm going to love you through it, and I'm going to build upon you a new life, a great life, and that's really what they, they came to. And at 20 years of assessing the Leaning Tower of Pisa, we got to replace the foundation. And that's what Christ is wanting to do in your life. You see, when you signed on with Jesus, you signed on for a building project, guys. Some of you have some rotting attitudes that God wants to change and practices in your life. And he wants to dig them out and rebuild them with new ones. This is a partnership of the believer with the Holy Spirit and with his church. You see, our second value as a church, church, in case you don't know, our, our mission as a church is to help people find their way home to God and to live as disciples who care. And care stands for celebrating Jesus Christ in every area of my life, accepting myself and others while I pursue maturity together. That's the value that I'm talking about, that second one. I accept you with your lean, and you accept me with my lean, yet we're going to pursue maturity together. It's so important for us to do that. R means to receive his grace daily. E means to engage our world by teaching others to care. This is what we're called to be, to be disciples of Jesus Christ. This is what we're going to be looking at in the book we're going to look at the Sermon on the Mount, the greatest sermon ever preached, Matthew chapter 5 through chapter 7. We're going to look at the Beatitudes, who gets the blessed life. We're going to look at the invitation of the kingdom of God. We're going to look at a life living with a life without lust, without lying, without, uh, uh, with blessing those who curse us, a life free of worry, a life free of pride, a life free of greed. Now, this isn't about shaming you to change you bad person. No, no, no. How many of you know you have a lean and you can't fix your lean without the expert help of Jesus Christ? Amen? Now, now you still bring that lean to him and you say, God, let's work on this lean. It's a partnership with God. It's a partnership with the body of Christ. This is what we're being invited into, this grand deconstruction so God can reconstruct us. How many of you know this church is a testimony to the deconstruction and reconstruction power of the power of the church and the power of Jesus Christ? This church is. This very building we deconstructed it, tore it down. You don't understand? We picked it up, picked up the pieces, put them back together, rebuilt it. It's a picture of heaven. It's a picture of eternity. It's a picture of the kingdom of God. It's a miracle every time you walk into this building, you should worship God because it declares his glory and his wonder. Hallelujah. So here you are, you have a lean, but God is saying there's storms coming, but I'm going to stabilize you. I'm going to fix your foundation. I'm going to take out those things that are not good, and, and you're going to make it through the storms. How many want to make it through the storms? Amen? We're in a storm right now in the world, and it's revealing all kinds of stuff. And stop fighting God on that revelation and say, yes, God, but I have more important things to do, which is to stop fixating on the storm and to look at the kingdom of God and say, let's get on with the Father's business. Amen? That's the heart of God. Amen. 
Think about these things. The Lord will give you revelation. Here's the third thought. Not are we leaning. Not only do God want to rebuild our lives, but we're on display during and after each storm event in our life. Matthew 7, again, I'm going to read it from the Message Bible. These words I speak to you are not incidental additions to your life, homeowners' improvements to your standard of living. They are foundational words, words to build a life upon. If you work these words into your life, you are like a smart carpenter who built his house on the solid rock. Rain poured down, the river flooded, the tornado life hit, but nothing moved that house. It was built and fixed to the rock. How many want a life built on the rock? Amen. You do. In case you don't know it, you do. So Betty and I built a house in Fort McMurray, and we built a house on a street um, that had a green belt on the back of it, and our friends built a house, several houses down for us, Todd and Sharon Lane. They built a house there, and we were at our house this time, brand new house, like maybe, maybe in it for a month, I don't even know about that. And we're drinking coffee, like you do with your neighbors. You're drinking coffee. Oh, it's a beautiful, God's done this, what a crazy thing. And this storm comes up, and I'm not talking was not normal storm. It was crazy storm. And we're sitting in our house drinking coffee going, oh my gosh. And what was the hint that it was a, not a normal storm was we had a, you know, one of those chairs that you have that have a little umbrella on them and they rock and they go back and forth and it, it gets picked up and thrown into our neighbor's yard. And then along our green belt, 60 foot high trees start to uproot and go down. Boom, boom, boom. I'm not talking one several of them and we're like oh my gosh and Todd and Sarah we, we should probably go check on our house they went out there was their trampoline rolling down the street how many know this is not a normal storm but you know what happened to our house nothing we didn't even lose a shingle why because it was built well and it was built on a solid foundation and even through the storm, it made it through. Hallelujah. You know, I had a thought about those trees, and those trees, interesting thought. Here's my interesting thought about the trees. When the developer developed the land for us to build our house on, he thinned the green belt out a little bit too much. And so the trees were alone. And that's exactly what happened. When the storm came, they weren't rooted next to another tree. And so when that storm hit, the trees just started to go down like pins in a bowling alley. How many of that's a story for you in the body of Christ? Amen? You don't stand alone. But if you're standing alone right now in the midst of this storm, it's not a wise place to be. God is saying the church, the body of Christ, interwoven, builds the st stability for your life in order to weather this storm. You know, God is calling us to stand together, that our lives are on display to the glory of the Lord. You know, I can tell you a little hint. Your life is still going to lean even after you come to Jesus. I hate to tell you that. But um, how many know spiritual formation or change in your life happens very gradually? Anybody ever figured that out? You ever look at your own life and say, nothing is changing in my life? Dang, Lord, 
sorry, but I'm really not getting this discipleship thing. And then you meet somebody and they say, man, you've really changed in the last year. And you're like, really? I, I didn't think I changed at all. Because spiritual formation, you guys, is glacier. You may not perceive it in your own life, but you can see it in somebody else's. That's where you're together in the body of Christ. I'm going to ask the band to come back now. But you need to understand that even though you still have a lean, check me out, check it out, even though Pastor Greg still eats too many Doritos, he has a lean. Doritos are very tempting of the devil, but they're good because God made them. <laughs> Just don't eat too many. How many of you know I still have a lean that God's still working on stuff in my life? But how many of you know my life can still be a tourist attraction? And your life can still be a tourist attraction? Even though you have a lean? Because other leaners in the world are looking at you and they're saying, wow, even though they have a lean, they seem to have peace. Even though they have a lean, they seem to have joy. Even though they're going through the same storm I'm going through, they're hanging on and they're doing okay. Maybe I'm going to go check out why they're doing okay. And look at that. They're in that church. And I've, I know some of those people. They really lean. But that's the invitation. This is what Christ is inviting you and I into. A relationship with other leaners. Amen? Well, if you haven't read the book yet, I'll tell you the rest of the story about Ben. Remember Ben who leaned on the world? So Ben, at the end of the summer... James Brian Smith says, Ben, you need to give your life to Jesus. You need to start leaning on the Lord's side. And Ben said these words. He said, it's too late for me. I've messed up my life. I'm 75. I'm beyond redemption. And James Brian Smith said, oh, no, you're not. God's in the redemption business, buddy. And so he did. He made a commitment of his life to Jesus Christ. He wrote a letter to his daughter asking for reconciliation and forgiveness from her. It was after that that the author, James Brian Smith, just had to leave because he had to go back to his seminary. And he didn't hear the story about Ben for the next 10 or 12 years. 12 years later, he gets an email from Ben's daughter saying that Ben had passed away at 88 years old, but he had lived the last decade of his life following Jesus. You see, you're never too late to make a change. And she thanked the author and said thank you for what you did for my dad and for my family it changed our lives he did not live the first 75 of his years of his life as a radiant life but he lived the last 10 years devoted to Jesus and to our family how many know that's a good story it's never too late you guys never too late you can make a change I want to tell you a story about a guy named Don Murphy and uh, those of you who might know, remember who Don was Don was uh, one of the rare World War II veterans. He was on D-Day. He lived in Mournville, and he, he lived at the, at the senior citizens place in Mournville where my wife worked. And my wife befriended Don at 93 years old. And one day in a moment of 
just honesty, Don said to my wife, you know, some days I just feel like walking out in front of a truck and ending it because no one really cares. No one would miss me. My wife said, oh, Don, I pray you never do that because I would miss you. And she, he said, why would you miss me? She said, because you're my friend. She said, you need to come to church with me. So she invited Don at 93 years old. And I don't know if you remember, for those of you that were here, Don would be in the front row sitting next to my wife every week for two years. And about several months into that time of coming to church, listening to the Word of God at 94 years old, he made a commitment of his life to Jesus Christ. 94. You know, Don suffered from nightmares every single day of his life since the war. And then he made a commitment to Jesus. God delivered him. Isn't that awesome? Amen. Don fell and had a, some issues at 95. He was in coma. I got to go visit him in the hospital and pray with him. And then I had the privilege of being present at his funeral and leading that funeral. 95 years of age. You're not too late to make a change, church. Amen? God is in the business of changing lives. Hallelujah. Why don't we bow our heads before we take communion today? If you're here today and you're saying, Pastor Greg, oh man, I, I, I need to let God work on my foundations a bit more. I'm a believer. I've asked Jesus into my life, but he wants to deconstruct some things. I'm going through a storm. Some of you are going through a storm, but you know what? You got to ask the right question. You got to say, Lord, why am I going through this storm? What are you changing in me? What are you working on? Help me to trust you through this. So if that's you and you're a believer and you're saying, Pastor Greg, I'm just going to commit to walking with God in a deeper way, walking with his body, walking with the church. That's you. Give me a wave right now. Lots of hands going up. Lots of hands. See, we're all going through a storm, church, but you don't have to go through it alone. That's the hope of heaven. That's the hope of the body of Christ, the hope of your relationship with Jesus Christ. And if you're here and you're watching online, maybe you've never made a commitment. Maybe you've just been leaning on the world side, but you're sinking and sinking and sinking. And God is like, it's time to build your life on the rock. You're not too late. If that is you here today, and you're saying, I need to make a commitment in my life to Jesus Christ, invite him in and start building and living my life upon the rock of Jesus Christ. If that is you, give me a wave. I know your hand's heavy, but raise it up. Yes. Are there others? Yes. That'll join these online. There's a button for you to press. Say, I made a commitment in my life to Jesus Christ today. I'm looking over here. Is there anybody else? Just let me know. Give me a wave. I want to pray together with you with these few that have raised their hands here today. You're all going to pray with me right now. If you've ever done this, or you raised your hand today, or you're online, let's pray together. Say, Heavenly Father, thank you for sending your son, Jesus to save me. I surrender my life to you. Help me to live with you and for you. In Jesus' name. Amen.
Let's give these people a hand clap today. Amen, church. Now, we all had communion cups given to us when we came in. And uh, communion is just a symbol of what Christ has done to make fellowship with you. The word communion just means common union with. And because you're in a common union with Christ, he, the one body that was whole, broke his body into many pieces that you might be made whole. So this is what the body of Christ is symbolizing, that you have been tied into and made part of the body of Christ. That's what you're embracing when you partake of this together. It's a celebration of Christ's sacrifice for you. Let's partake of the body together. Jesus, when he was at the Last Supper, took the cup and he said, this cup represents the blood of salvation. This represents the new covenant that I've made with you, that I've saved you and rescued you and cleansed you from your sin and your unrighteousness. As we partake of this, let's just thank the Lord for his good mercy toward us. Amen. As you're singing this song in a moment, let the Spirit of God just move upon your heart. Let Him show you the areas that He's working on. He's not come to condemn you, but to set you free. Hallelujah. Stop building on sinking sand and build upon the firm foundation of the rock that is Jesus Christ. Let's stand to our feet together and sing this song right now. Amen. Draw me close to you. together. Hallelujah. Church, 
We're going to go in the grace and the peace of God in just a moment. We're going to sing this song one more time. If you need prayer, there's going to be people at the cross that would love to pray together with you. I encourage you to be part of this study that we're going on, The Good and Beautiful Life. It is a great book calling us to that beautiful place of holiness with the Lord. The Lord bless you and the Lord keep you. The Lord cause his face to shine upon you and give you peace. May the Lord turn his face toward you and may his grace abound in your life. Amen and amen. God bless you. We're going to sing this song as you leave or as you go for prayer. You can stay and worship the Lord. Let's sing it one more time right now. Thank you, Jesus.